Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. And in this episode, we've gone back in time and come right back, having changed nothing with Mark Grayson and Adam Eve, as experienced in the full house arc of Invincible from Image Comics and Skybound Entertainment. And we'll be applying Mark Brackett's permission to feel, unlocking the power of emotions to help our kids, ourselves, and our society thrive to their relationship woes. Going back in time. Is that what you were trying to do? Yeah. It was very good. I was trying to do it without singing because I know that some people are playing the comic book couples counseling drinking game and every time I sing, they drink and I don't want anybody to get alcohol poisoning. All right. All right. All right. I like this copy a lot, Lisa. I like that we were able to say it all in one go and there's no (laughs) reason to stick around for a stinger this week. Yeah, I nailed it. First try. We actually just got back from taking a tour of the new Reston, Virginia Barnes and Noble store. Those of you who are up on your Gullickson lore, Brad and I met as I was just a humble bookseller. Yes. He was the music manager. No, I was bargain, bargain lead. lead. I was hired as bargain lead. You were already working at the Barnes & Noble Reston store. That is correct. And we met at customer service desk, and we've told this story before, but you do not remember our first encounter, even though I remember our first encounter. Because Brad had mutton chops at the time, and mutton chops are the facial hair that make you invisible to women. Uh, tell that to Logan. He gets all that <laughs> game, Lisa. But I think that that's how he does his undercover ops. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. he sneaks in with the sideburns. Right, right, right. He wears those as protection because (sighs) if he were to not have those women would be and all kinds of people all genders would be hitting on him all of the time and he'd never get anything done i feel like that's that is happening and i think your mutton chops make you invisible philosophy is faulty oh okay well name one person with mutton chops who has been slaying i mean i just did in the sack 
Wolverine slays in the sack. No, he doesn't slay in the sack. He broods. He goes like, why won't Jean Grey love me? <laughs> Those rolling in the hay with Logan are there for his character. I think this says more about you. And my <laughs> mutton chops made me invisible to you. And that's fine. Thanks to booksellers like Martina and Brittany, they told me to get rid of those things, and I did. And once I did, you noticed me. That is true. And the rest is history. So it's a big deal to have the Reston bookstore back because it did leave many years ago, and it was a tragedy. And it feels like a triumphant return to have the store back. And Elizabeth, the store manager over there, invited us both over to take a little tour. And man, it was so good to get like a first peek in there, an exclusive. The store opens on the 14th. We will be there opening day. And I gotta say, like, I think this is one of the prettiest Barnes & Nobles I've ever been in. Barnes & Noble in general is in the midst of a glow up yes, right absolutely. now and they're really changing their approach of how the bookstores are run yeah and in the case of Reston Barnes and Noble the layout of this store is enormous and the booksellers have a lot of autonomy when it comes to how this bookstore is presented what the end caps are what the um, bookseller recommends are there's a whole bay for those and they're really going for the community hub that Barnes & Noble used to be. This is actually the largest bookstore that Barnes & Noble has opened in about a decade. Mm -hmm. And the ceilings are huge. It's in a former office depot. They kept like that very bright space, that very bright light that office depots have. But they've injected some warmth into it. But it's not like the usual... Or it's not like the old color screen. There's not so much green in it. There's a lot of white. There's a lot of beige. But it really worked for me. And the backsplash on the cafe is this gorgeous black tile. Mm -hmm. Everything shines. And of course it's new and new things shine. But I think even as it ages, it's going to keep that shine. What struck me when we first walked in is that you can't see from the front of the store to the back. Yeah, very different than a typical Barnes & Noble. And instead of the shelves being in these rows, like do you remember in the old restaurant you'd go in and it would be like fiction to the right, all in rows, yep. and then romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty so boring structure. So this Barnes & Noble has their shelves all set perpendicularly and kind of interlocking. So you get this like labyrinth feel. Well, there is a racetrack in the center around like cookbooks. And I think, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but like gift is over there. Yeah. So there's a racetrack in the center, but then on the outskirts, there's like these divided squares. It's like nooks and crannies. It is like the uh, English muffin of a bookstore. I mean, it feels like a mythological structure. It feels <laughs> like a castle. It feels like a maze, but in a great way, like in a way that you want to hang out and stay and browse and read. It's just so inviting. And those nooks and crannies, like the manga section, right? Yeah, it's like practically a little room. Yeah, it, it, right. You feel like you have discovered a realm within the store. Yeah. And you want to stick to that realm. And manga is huge. It's a very large section. Graphic novels, sadly, not as big. But typically, that's how it goes with a Barnes & Noble. But also, it's more 
interspersed within the genres. So the actual graphic novel section, which is mostly like where you'll find your like superhero books. Yeah, your Wednesday warrior crowd. <laughs> like that those. is like what two shelves side by side. Yeah. But then you go to the young adult section. There are more comic books. You go to the true crime section. There My are, friend Dahmer yeah, is a face out right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and in history, there's some graphic novels. There's, of course, the all ages section of graphic novels. So I comics love, are like spread throughout the store, which is really nice to see. I love the idea of graphic novels being side by side to quote unquote regular books because I feel like you're going to reach more readers that way. Yeah, yeah. Graphic novels are a medium, not a genre, but exactly. there are genres. So if you're going to have genres like true crime and horror, why not put the comics with them? They haven't gone that extreme, Yeah, but that's what Brad and Lisa would that do. That is the direction I feel comic books are going. And in this era of online sellers, places like Amazon, mm -hmm. Barnes & Noble has become... Her, like like Barnes and Noble, you know. Remember the days of you've got mail. Mm -hmm, Barnes yes. Noble was the evil behemoth that invaded the community and stole away your mom and pop bookstore. And that did happen. You know, when Reston first got a Barnes and Noble, the store that Lisa and I worked at, it did push out Little Professor Bookstore, which it was did. also in Reston. R.I.P. Um, but now, in the era of the online behemoths. Barnes & Noble feels like the community bookstore, almost feels like the mom and pop shop. They're really embracing the browser. Yeah. Because those people, those individuals who know the books that they want, they are going to go order it on Amazon, rather. Right. And get it the very next day. Right, right, right. Where I feel like people go to Barnes & Noble now, and it's like going to the candy store. You're mm -hmm. like looking around and going like, look at all of my options. Any of these can be a super sweet delight for me. One of the new changes that this Barnes & Noble has done is remove the customer service desk, mm -hmm. that hub that usually sits at the center of Barnes & Noble stores. There are still terminals for booksellers to look up books, but there's no longer the hub where they can retreat to and hide out. Now the booksellers are amongst the people, browsing with the people, communicating with the people. I love that. Brad and I are a little bit opposite when it comes to how we want to be treated at a bookstore. <laughs> sure. Brad... When he goes into a store, particularly a bookstore, and he's not greeted and he doesn't get those new recommendations and he doesn't have an excited book conversation, yeah. he's a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Whereas if I go into a bookstore, I find a book and <laughs> no one talks to me, I'm like, that was a 10 out of 10 experience and There's for a me. balance to be had. But I think that this new setup of this Barnes & Noble serves both shopper. Because if you want to go to the racetrack and do a quick circle and find a bookseller, you can. But if you want to hide and disappear into a corner, there are plenty of corners where you can go and enjoy the books undisturbed. Yeah, yeah. This, I'm sure people listening to this episode's opening is going like, boy, this is some serious spawn con. But I promise it you, not. it is not. We're just super excited as former Barnes & Noble booksellers, as former Barnes & Noble lovers, yeah. to have Reston get its Barnes & Noble back. It's a moment for us, and I hope you don't mind indulging us in this moment of celebration. And again, thank you to Elizabeth and Thomas for giving us the tour of the new Barnes & Noble. I mean, we are obviously in awe of it, and I think it's going to do just gangbusters back at Reston. Yeah, like Reston has not recovered. We are continuously heartbroken 
heartbroken over the loss of our Barnes and Noble and to have it back. Ugh, it feels great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we're excited. Um, we also did our Ninja Turtle screening. I wanted to talk a little bit about that yeah. real quick. Uh, at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, it was a sold out crowd. And I was shocked by how many children showed up to that screening. And they loved Ninja Turtles. Throughout and the whole movie, you heard their laughter. It felt so good. Yeah, like they loved the slapstick stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And they loved that aspect of Ninja Turtles. And of course the adults, we love the nostalgia. We love the fraternity. And um, it was really cool to have this like intergenerational experience. It was very warm and loving. And we have to thank our co-sponsors, the fine folks over at Four Color Fantasies, the Eisner nominated comic book shop. They provided some really rad giveaways this time. Mm -hmm. We did our trivia and we gave away two passes to the Washington DC Comic Con Awesome Con. Yeah. We also gave away a signed and remarked copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a, a single issue from Kevin Eastman. is pretty neat. It's pretty neat. It uh, so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in the proximity of Winchester, Virginia, even if it's a few hours drive, we really do think it's worth it. We've had people come out of state to our shows <laughs> yeah. and they've had a great time. We should also thank Ninja Turtles writer Tom Waltz for providing a virtual introduction for that Ninja Turtles screening. So cool. We will have, hopefully, fingers crossed, it hasn't been recorded yet, but a virtual intro from a really rad past CBCC guest and a really rad bat creator for our next screening, which will be Batman Mask of the Phantasm on June 25th at four o'clock at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia. And then on July 30th, we are going to be screening Scott Pilgrim versus the World again at 4 p.m. And then in August, we're working on that screening, but it looks like we're gonna have a comic creator actually in person for that screening Again, thanks to Four Color Fantasy. I love that our film club series is becoming bigger and bigger events each month, and you're gonna wanna join us. So links in the show notes, and we'll keep you posted whenever new tickets go on sale. And oh yeah, if you're a patron, let us know you're coming. Cause you get in for free. That's right. Now Lisa, do we consider that last bit SpawnCon, even though it's like SpawnCon for us? Count as singing. <laughs> Do you have to take a drink? Okay, okay, okay. I'll let the listeners decide <laughs> if that was SpawnCon or not. <laughs> and you definitely do have to take a drink. Invincible Full House. We are back to doing sessions with Mark and Eve. Hopefully you're not a new listener. Hopefully you've already listened to our Robert Kirkman interview that launched this whole thing. Hopefully you've listened to our episode on Modern Family. Hopefully you've listened to our episode on Reboot because this is part four, Full House. Though if you are a first-time listener, we appreciate it so much. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go back and listen to those episodes. Well, links in the show notes. Links in the show notes to all those episodes. We need those listens, baby. So Mark and Eve are currently in our waiting room, waiting for their counseling session to begin. But before we invite them in for discussion, I wanted to step outside the comic for a minute, Lisa, and celebrate the return of a certain comic book artist to Invincible with this arc. 
Are we talking about Invincible co-creator Cory Walker? We are. Now, when I imagine Invincible in my mind, the art style I see is courtesy of Ryan Otley. The action, the paneling, the violence. I don't give Cory Walker, the original Invincible co-creator, enough credit, I think. And it was so much fun to return to his style with Full House. His design sense is top-notch, and if you dig any of these characters, you have to thank Cory Walker. He illustrated Invincible's first seven issues, but he found meeting the deadlines rather difficult, and according to him in a CBR interview from 2009, they were going to kill the book and he couldn't allow that. So stepping away was somewhat painful, but he recognized it as necessary. Oh my gosh, that must have been heartbreaking. Since then, Walker has returned several times to work here and there on Invincible, but maybe most notably with the second to last Invincible storyline, this one that we're about to talk about, Full House. Walker and Kirkman first got together as a creative couple on the Savage Dragon spin-off comic Super Patriot, a book that I recently reread, and I gotta say, it's pretty damn rad, would recommend that you scour the dollar bins and grab up these four issues. When Kirkman was working over at Marvel, the two collaborated a lot as well. This period is so fascinating. It's that moment before Kirkman swore off working with the big two companies. He was doing some wild stuff, and I'm not sure Marvel today would allow him to do what he did then. Marvel's Zombies was his baby, as was the irredeemable Ant-Man, which is just a brutally funny, offensive, and cynical comic. Walker did a few issues on that with Kirkman. He did a series called Destroyer with Kirkman 2, which was under Marvel's mature line, Max. Everyone remember Max? I miss Max. In Marvel Team-Up issue 14, they even brought Invincible to the Marvel Comics universe and partnered him with Spider-Man. I have that issue somewhere, but haven't read it in a while and can't really find it at the moment. Need to, uh... I mean, I might have to, like, purchase a new issue. I hate doing that, but it might just have to happen, Lisa. So prepare yourself. It's not that expensive. And also, nothing gives me a deeper sense of security than having doubles of something. <laughs> Amen mm. to that. Walker has this very clean line, but it's deceptively simple, and I wouldn't fault anyone for thinking it was a quick style, but obviously that's not the case. Cory Walker is the type of creator, like Mike Mignola, who tortures himself over every stroke. After finishing Full House, I just thought to myself, gosh, I'd love to see more comics from this guy, but he's living that Amazon Prime invincible life, working as creative consultant and lead character designer on the TV series, the second season of which will be dropping later this year. But I don't want him to be another Guy Davis. I want him back in comics. Also, I want Guy Davis back in comics, but I guess that Hollywood money is too dang tempting. Just another reason to bring the Star Trek future to our present when there is no <laughs> money and everyone is following their bliss. Oh, yes. So, Lisa, I know you love Ryan Otley's style, his vibe, his aesthetic. 
Was it weird to have Corey Walker return for Full House for you? Like, did it throw you off? 100% it threw me off. Did it? Did it? Yeah, yes, I thought it did. So. It was totally like immersion bias, though, because uh-huh. when you're looking at one person's art for so many issues. And then you have a dramatic shift. And like, for some reason, my initial reaction is always like, Ugh. like, what? <laughs> Change is bad. I hate it. I'm uncomfortable. But honestly, it was just like. Uh, a few pages in and you completely forget. Yeah, I think it's only natural to react that way when you love something and then it changes. But on this podcast, we always talk about how change is necessary and change isn't inherently bad and you need to embrace change. But in rereading Full House, like this is probably like my third or fourth time and I, I reread it twice before doing the podcast. It was on that reread where I just kind of like fell in love with Corey Walker Mm -hmm. all over again. And when you're just looking at Invincible and you're just keeping his style at the forefront and you, you, you kind of forget Ryan Otley after a while when you're rereading these issues. And there is a fringe universe out there where Corey Walker was able to do the entire series. And I think that series would be very good, not the same, but, Probably just as good. That's not to say, though, that artists are interchangeable. No, 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 not at all. We're looking at someone's heart song. It's clear that Corey Walker loves these characters. He's so expressive with them. He really immerses himself in their experience as does Ryan Otley. So it's just a uh, like a matter of looking at these these individuals through a slightly different lens. And they're honestly like as Invincible exists right now with Corey Walker, Ryan Otley, Corey Walker, it's it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, like it's awesome. It's awesome. And I and I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. So we're going to get into Full House in a moment. But before we can do that, Lisa, we got to check in with our love expert. Yes, for our third session with Mark and Eve, we are continuing with our love expert, Dr. Mark Brackett, using his book, Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. And we have been loving him but I have been having creeping reservations about him. Oh no! Dr. Brackett is a professor at the Yale Child Study Center and the founding director of the Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence. He is also the lead developer of RULER, an evidence-based systematic curriculum for the societal and emotional learning for grades pre-K through 12th. In our last session, we covered the R, U, and L of the ruler skills. So this session, we're going to round it out with E and R. So these ruler skills are the skills that it takes to have emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence isn't something that you are inherently born with. It's something that you have to build over time in a mindful way. So Brad. Yes. I know it's been a minute. Uh Uh-oh. But pop quiz. Oh, no. What are the R, U, and L skills? Uh, wrong answers only. <laughs> Raging. Uh-huh. Unionizing. Ooh, we like W-G-A that one. W-G-A strong. <laughs> and what was the other one? L? Um, laughing. There you go. I love it. And if it was wrong answers only, you get 100% correct. I was it, it so wrong much. answers only? No, it, it wasn't initially, oh. but I saw the panic in your face. And Thank so, you. So, so yeah. what, what are the uh, R, U, and L? So R stands for recognizing. So you have to recognize that an emotion is happening. 
U is understanding. So it's like getting to the bottom of why the emotion is happening. And L is labeling. Right, 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 right. You to <laughs> identify with specificity what the emotion is. And to do that, we can use our four quadrant mood meter. You would think that after spending so many hours editing the last couple of episodes, that would actually retain in my head. Mm. Uh, but it's been a minute, Lisa. It's it been has a minute. been. We've done many creator conversations since the last um, Invincible episode. And I have so been looking forward to the expressing emotions portion. I just want Mark Brackett to tell me it's okay to cry loudly in a public library. And does he? Uh, not so much. Dr. Brackett says that E, expressing emotions, can be the scariest of the five letters. Because up until now, we have been working on a solo project. We've been working on our little sound booth that is our own brain, recognizing the emotion, understanding it, labeling it accurately. Expressing the emotion is now the moment when you reach out to another person like, do you want to collab on this? Do you want to pick up what I feel like putting down, and they can be like, no thanks. Dr. B refers to expressing emotions as a transaction between people, but it's kind of a gamble as well. The transaction might end with you both coming to a place of mutual understanding and our relationship coming closer, but you know, it might not. And that's scary. We've already witnessed some of the scariness with Mark and Eve in the last session when Mark was withholding his emotions that he was trying to process on his own about his traumatic experience with Anissa. He feared what emotions it would bring out in his wife and she could possibly reject him because of it or like he wasn't sure like how culpable he was in that experience. It was a very like murky thing in his mind. And he thought that by keeping his emotions to himself, he was somehow sparing his partner. And sparing himself as well, but it was just bottling up and it was going to erupt and we saw how it erupted. When we express our emotions, here's what we really want to get across. Here's what I feel and why. Here's what I want to happen next. Here's what I want from you right now. Dr. Mark Brackett makes it clear, though, that permission to feel isn't permission to let it all hang out. Because if we're all displaying our unfiltered emotions all of the time, that doesn't leave room for anyone else's emotions. It actually had me thinking about our Dick and Babs episodes about mm. the Bowen family systems theory and the sponges. Do you remember the sponges, Brad? I do Brad? remember the sponges. Can you explain them to our listening audience? Why would you do this to me, Lisa? Because I feel like we're more interesting to listen to when we take turns talking. <laughs> I mean, I agree, but guess what? You've just caught me in a lie. I don't remember <laughs> the sponges. I remember the term, the sponges, so, but I don't actually remember the sponges. So This is the second time you exposed me <laughs> as somebody who just cares about the comics talk. Oh, That's no. not true, though. Well, anybody else who's like you has already 15 seconds skipped past this portion. <laughs> but the sponges is like... In this world, we're all living in emotion soup, and we're all the sponges. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, and we soak it up. And we, we soak, soak up it the up. emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's part of our job to process our emotions so that we can, in turn, soak up other emotions. Because we're all going to come to a time when we're overwhelmed, where we can't absorb anymore, and we depend on others. To wring us out. Exactly. See 
I remembered it eventually. That's that's very good, and I'm very proud of you. Thank you. We also can't let it all hang out because we live in a society where not everybody is on board with the whole permission to feel thing. And we're often bound by nuanced display rules of when we can express our emotions and with whom. So we have to manage or even mask our emotions, but not too much because too much is bad. The effort we use to manage our emotions on a daily basis is called emotional labor. And like any other type of labor, if we do it too often, it takes a toll. Sociologist Arlie Hothschild spent her career studying the effects of emotional labor in the workplace. Jobs that require long sustained emotional masking, people like nurses, kindergarten teachers, police officers, customer service jobs, have high instances of burnout, lower job satisfaction, and increased anxiety and depression. Do you remember back in the day when McDonald's had that, like, we guarantee your food with a smile? Uh, vaguely, Where yeah. if you notice that you're, like, you're going through the drive-thru, if the minimum wage worker doesn't smile at you, you get a free meal? Gross. No, I don't remember that. That was the time of McDonald's highest turnover and highest burnout. Oh, I believe it. I Nobody believe can it. fake it all of yeah, the time. No, that's awful. Full disclosure, this is the first part of Permission to Feel where I'm kind of unsatisfied because the overall message of the section is expressing your emotions is risky because people can reject you, but you kind of have to do it anyway and he also doesn't really explain what expressing your feeling looks like other than explaining it with words. Does like, he I, talk about what happens when you express your feelings and it does not go well for the other person? No, okay. no. Like he doesn't even, so I control, I did the uh, like Kindle equivalent of uh -huh. control F and he does not use the word crying, which is my number one concern in this chapter at all. Interesting. So like is the sum total of expression expression like just telling people your needs because a lot of times when I'm experiencing experiencing an emotion I don't know what my needs are so Mark Brackett he has the mood meter he knows that recognizing emotions is important he knows expressing emotions is important but he just doesn't give you the tools of how to express and what to do when someone responds in any way to that expression. No, no, he does have a long uh, kind of self-congratulatory section. Uh, <laughs> on, like, okay. I can't remember if it was in the expressing or the regulating, which comes next, but he has all of these instances when somebody said something insensitive to him while he was doing a presentation and how he's like, I could have really taken that person out by their knees by saying something really divisive, but instead I regulated the emotion and everything turned out okay. And my presentation- So he gives you regulation. So the, yeah. his tip is regulation. So, so you the regulation, the emotion, but you got to regulate, regulate the that emotion, emotion as well. Okay. And regulating- Sounds incomplete. It, yeah. I, like- to me, like I was looking for something that really simplified the emotions process. As we were going through R, U, and L, I was like, oh, we're getting closer to a really easy system for me to figure out when 
and how to express my emotions. And then we get to the expressing portion and he goes like, and this is this part's really hard and it's never not going to be hard. But maybe we can take the R, U, and L and then add it to one of our other previous love experts that does address expressing yeah. emotions. Yeah, I'm not rejecting Dr. Mark Brackett whole cloth. I think that I need to do a little bit of introspection about my relationship with my emotions because I'm like one of those people who just feels like I'm too much. You know what I mean? And 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 I and I just wanted him to say like you're not too much. You're the individual who's actually doing the right thing, crying loudly in a public library. So the cure is not here in yeah. permission to feel for you or at least the cure that you're looking for. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So like there's no like plan of action and expression of like okay, it's time to express your emotions. Here's what you can do. But we do agree that expressing your emotions is, is better than bottling your emotions. Because if you bottle your emotions, you're going to express them anyway in a way that is less mindful. Or you're going to burn out and you're going to undermine your overall happiness is the point. What he doesn't say but was my overall takeaway for this portion of the book is that it's really important to identify who your safe people are mm. for mm. when you have an emotion, who can I go to? Yes. And it can be a different person for different types of situations. I like, like you, that strategy. You shouldn't yeah. go to the same person for everything. It's really important to diversify. Mark Brackett does say that there is some relief you can get on your own by writing down your emotions. There has been studies on that. But I, I, my heart goes out to those people who feel like they're in a situation where they don't have any safe people. Yeah. And so it would be worth your time to invest in finding safe people. Even if that means going anonymously online and finding an online community of people who might be able to identify with your experience. There are also hotlines that you can call. Absolutely, yes. In Virginia, we have a mental health hotline, and let me look it up real quick. It's one 903 3787 And if you go to Google, you can look up a mental health hotline in your state. And mm -hmm. I would recommend using them. And it doesn't have to be a crisis no, level. No, 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 no. It's, it's, you, you just want to reach out. Mm -hmm. They are there. It does make me really mindful about trying to be a safe harbor for as many people as possible. And Dr. Brackett does have tips for that. So when someone comes to you with their emotions, you want to curb any behaviors that signal indifference. So closing off your body and not facing the person or crossing your arms or appearing restless or avoiding eye contact will make, that, make a person feel unsafe mm. with their emotions around you. The message you want to convey is I'm here for you and I'm not judging you. I want to understand and help you in the manner that you want to be helped. This may mean masking your own emotions to mm. make space for the other person's emotions. 
which may be where the transactional aspect comes in. I think a lot of conflict and relationships can come from competing emotional space mm. and saying like, can you please check your feelings <laughs> because I right now am having a feeling. Yeah, and as we know, sometimes I'm like, Lisa, I don't have the spoons right now. Right, this just reminds you that there is no clean answer for sure. being a human. Yeah, And we're all looking to build our emotional intelligence skills, but we're gonna mess up. Yeah, it's, it's just a gonna process. happen. And Mark Brackett does give explicit permission to fail. Like, all, we're all just doing the best we can. Permission to feel, permission to fail. Exactly. So let's get to our regulating emotions. Dr. Brackett refers to regulation as the most complex and challenging of the five skills even though we've been regulating and co-regulating our entire lives. Regulation is any time you make a choice to change your emotional state. So it can be said that these four volumes started with a huge instance of emotional regulation. Both Mark and Eve were tired of being in the red quadrant of the mood meter, frustrated, furious, stressed, enraged, with the direction Rex is taking the planet Earth, so they left in hopes that it could change the emotion. I think a more straightforward example of emotional regulation was when Mark was stuck back in time and he was masking all of the time to hide that he was from the future. He was sitting at the dinner table with his mom and his dad and he just grew so frustrated and tired. So he flew up into the sky so he could do just some screaming and shouting. Like that's emotional regulation. Co-regulation is when two people cooperate in order to change each other's emotions. Co-regulation actually happens every time two people are together. And it's the first regulation we learn as infants. So think of little infant Tara Every time she was crying or fussy, her parents would soothe her by holding her and rocking and speaking to her in quiet, calm tones. That's emotional regulation. But most of us are doing our emotional regulation in sort of a willy-nilly sort of way where we let things build up, we blow off steam, right? Permission to feel encourages us to regulate our emotions in a less habitual, less self-hating, more mindful way. Emotional regulation is not about stuffing the undesirable negative emotions so you never feel them, but rather assessing the proportion of the emotion with relation to the problem the emotion is alerting you to. And Dr. Brackett outlined some strategies that might help you when you need to wrangle some unruly emotions so that you can think more clearly. Number one is mindful breathing. I like this one. There are lots of suggestions for mindful breathing exercises online and even like expensive apps. The most important thing is that you are first and foremost thinking about the breath. Two is forward-looking strategies. If there's a situation that you anticipate will make you feel an undesirable emotion, adjust the circumstance so that the impact will be lessened. Eve has a turbulent relationship with her parents, so she makes the visits short right. and she has a hard out. That is forward-looking strategies. Smart. Three is attention shifting. We've talked about this strategy a lot on CBCC, but it's about thinking outside of yourself and thinking about yourself having the emotion in third person. 
Dr. B cites studies where the subject is exposed to disturbing images or are asked to recall upsetting memories, and the subjects who refer to the experience in third person has their discomfort decreased by half. Mm. So it might feel silly to go like, Brad Gullickson is frustrated right now, but the dividends are huge. So just be a cheese ball and do it. I love that phrase. That's my motto. Be a cheese ball <laughs> and do it. That's going to be on, on a t-shirt. Elliot, get on that. Four is cognitive reframing, or as others refer to it, reframing the narrative. Something we've also talked about on this podcast a lot. Yeah. This technique is often used in CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. It's taking a stressful situation and practicing seeing it in a more positive light. So Mark has had to do a ton of reframing yep. in his relationship with his dad because initially <laughs> the betrayal was enormous. But over time, Mark has realized that it was an extension of how Nolan was raised as a Viltrumite. And also, he has grown so much. He has applied a lot of empathy towards Nolan, and Nolan has applied a lot of empathy towards, well, Mark and all of humanity. I practice this a lot on the road, where in the past, you know, if someone cuts me off, I go yes. like, clearly this person is a selfish a-hole, and they don't care about me at all, and they're trying to teach me a lesson, and blah, blah, blah. But now I go like, man, that person must be so distracted and under so much pressure that they didn't even notice me. I hope that person's day is going to go better. These strategies can be used to regulate yourself but you can also use them to help calm down another person without explicitly stating, I'm going to cognitively reframe <laughs> you now. You can just start thinking about your own breathing and work forward-looking, attention-shifting, cognitive reframing stuff into the conversation. And if you do that in a mindful way, you'll help discharge a volatile situation, hopefully. Yeah, it's worth a shot. But Dr. Brackett points out that there can be a dark side to any one of these regulation strategies, and none of them are going to work 100% of the time. For example, we've already mentioned Mark avoiding Anissa as a forward-looking strategy, but it's not going to be enough for him to deal with the emotional trauma of what she did to him. So, like, we can't use these strategies to just continuously run from our feelings. But reframing, I, like, I think, you know, taking a moment at the halftime and reassessing the situation and re-strategizing like that. That's what life is. Yeah. Like we're not finding a solution, which I so desperately want. What we are doing is building a tool belt and a toolbox and yeah. And I mean, maybe I should find it comforting that emotions are hard and even somebody with a doctorate <laughs> doesn't have all of the answers yes. in the session with Mark and Eve. I think it will be interesting to monitor when they choose to express and when they choose to mask their emotions. Ooh, and we can also discuss how their different co-regulation strategies are influencing their choices and also influencing their familial relationship as Mark, Eve, and Tara. But before we can do that, Lisa, we gotta get into some words of affirmation. Na, 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 na
For first-time listeners, the words of affirmation are our way to give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. We curate and use these ourselves, and we're more than happy to pass them on to you. This week, we have one new patron, and it's our friend Brian Young. Yes, finally, after years, we've convinced Brian to join our Patreon, and I believe he did it primarily because of our full spoilers review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So naturally, our words of affirmation for him have to come from Into the Spider-Verse. Plus, there are so many good quotes in this. It was hard to choose just one, but we did it. All right, Lisa, let's get into that head space. Let's take that deep breath Dr. B was talking about. (sighs) Brian Young. I see the spark in you. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. I got a little choked up, not going to lie. I love my friend Brian. Brian's so good. Brian's so good. There are actually so many words of affirmation in the two Spider-Verse films and probably in the third Spider-Verse film when it comes out in March of next year. Uh, That affirmation right there actually was tweeted out as a word of affirmation from the across the spider-verse twitter account they know what they got yeah they do they do of course we don't expect all of you listening to support us through the patreon there are many other ways you can do so you know liking and sharing this episode is one of them writing a five-star review on apple Podcasts actually does a lot and takes us so much further into the apple podcast world we Mm -hmm. really appreciate that that being said i'm also really proud of what we've been doing with our patreon we've been putting out so many episodes in the last couple of weeks we had neil clyde the writer of the phoenix chase come on for another bonus creator conversation we're doing our sleepwalking through sandman series we're almost done with the kindly ones 75 issues of sandman we are doing 75 episodes on those 75 issues we also just did Not one, not two, but three across the Spider-Verse reviews. Full spoilers, no spoilers, and one on the Burger King Spider-Verse Whopper. (laughs) Yes. So if you want some extra comic book couples counseling content in your life, join that Patreon. One dollar gets you all of it. Yeah, that's true. But more dollars gets you more stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One dollar gets you all the episodes, more dollars get you some Slack community, mm-hmm. some goodness there, some, some care packages. Yeah. yeah, we've just printed out a bunch of new Make Mine CBCC buttons, mm-hmm. and those will be going to our patrons first. And now we got to pull Mark and Eve out of the waiting room, bring them into session, put them on our couch. We're talking about Invincible Full House issues 127 through 132, published by Image Comics through the Skybound Entertainment imprint between April 2016 and February 2017. The comic was written by Robert Kirkman, penciled by Corey Walker, colored by Nathan Fairbairn, and lettered by Russ Wooten. Here's the basic plot taken off of Goodreads. Mark has returned from the past to a very different future. Now he has to pick up the pieces of his life and try to put them back together. Invincible co-creator Corey Walker returns to the book to set the stage for the next chapter of Invincible's life. 
and also the end of Invincible. It's so close. Pretty basic plot synopsis, Lisa. Straight and to the point. It's always feast or famine with these plot synopses. Either they give you way too much and they give the whole story <laughs> away or they tell you nothing and you, then you have to read the whole book, which isn't a bad problem well, to have. Well, the nice thing about Full House is that it does start immediately after reboot. Like the first panel is the next panel after the last mm -hmm. one, right? And the first panel of this trade gives you an opportunity to recognize some emotions. Oh yeah, there's a <laughs> lot going on and a lot of co-regulation going on as well. So Mark is obviously in shock. Uh, he is weeping. Tara is now, I would say, what, like five years old? Yeah. About five years has gone by since the last issue or since... He went off to reboot land and, you know, <laughs> I like I, I think that the first couple of pages, Lisa, are pretty satisfying as far as that shock, like the page turn, the second page, that big splash of Mark weeping and hugging Tara and Tara taking it so well, you know, yeah. <laughs> like she seems like, well, dad's back. That's great. I've heard about this guy. And, you know, Eve looks pretty emotional as well. But then like after three pages, they seem like really okay with everything. Right. Well, I think that they are ha their life has been one of many huge adjustments and this is just one more. But they've like, had practice is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. But like the person who I'm kind of impressed slash confused by is Tara. And we'll see throughout this book, she is pretty unflappable. It makes me wonder, is she stuffing her emotions? Because her parents are constantly going through this melodrama. So she sees her dad for the uh -huh. first time. Uh -huh. She recognizes that he's upset uh -huh. and she immediately goes into like comforting Com right, mode. Right. And then her parents are crying and embracing and Tara is just kind of watching. So if we go back all the way to when this comic first was published in you know 2016, and I was reading it month to month, as I slowly progressed through this arc, I was extremely worried that Tara was bad. Oh, interesting. <laughs> because, you know, the Viltrumites, uh, they they have they have issues, right? Mm -hmm. They have a complicated origin themselves. And we see Oliver struggling with some morality, maybe. We're gonna talk about that. I, like there's a lot to unpack there with Oliver in this arc. And obviously Nolan's done some heinous stuff. And it just seemed right to me, like the next tragedy would be not that Mark comes back to his child five years later and he's missed so much of her her childhood. It's that in not being there, he wasn't able to properly raise Tara and Tara is quote unquote bad. Mm. Now, I won't say what that's like beyond this arc because Lisa, again, has not read all of Invincible. She still hasn't gotten to the this last two trades. This is as far as I've gotten. But... That was a concern for me. Was that ever a concern for you, reading Full House? It didn't occur to me one time. Okay, okay, yeah, all right, all right. You you now look like you have a concerned expression Now I'm concerned. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I would hate I would hate for that to happen. But don't you think that would also kind of, like, make sense, too? Like, it would yeah, not be surprising? Yeah, with what a, a little automaton she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When she, it comes to, like... Because she's not quite 
a sociopath <laughs> in this arc, but she does kind of, uh, she does use masks, it seems. She's, like she's super even-tempered yeah. considering the circumstances. But I think that maybe she might take after her dad. I feel like Mark in this volume is, considering what he's going to, shockingly even-tempered. And he has the expectation of, I'm going to have my emotions by myself because I don't want to be a further burden on my girls. Yeah, I don't want to jump too far ahead in the story already, mm -hmm. but knowing where this goes and eventually Eve reveals that she has had a relationship with another person after Mark went away. Again, it's been five years. You know, you can't really falter for finding love after Mark because effectively Mark had died, right? right? But that storyline and the complicated feelings around that storyline sort of take over the emotional arc of Full House. And I almost wish it didn't happen because I this event, these three pages right here at the beginning of Full House are so major. If they had happened in my life, your life, like it, it would take years of recovery. It would be a major disruption. But Eve's relationship with that other person kind of distracts from this initial trauma. I think that um, over the next couple of pages, we're going to talk about how Mark is desperately just trying to immerse himself mm -hmm. and just trying to catch up. He's kind of repeating what he was doing when he first got here. Yes. You know, when he first left Earth. But now Eve has had five years to become, you know... Uh, th this is her home. Right. She's adapted now. Yeah. And, and now Mark has to readapt. Exactly. And I think that he is using that kind of aggressive adaptation mode to kind of put some of those emotions on the back burner. But we'll also see him processing and having conversations. But I think um, because Mark is stuffing and Tara, I suspect is stuffing, it puts Eve in this place of kind of acting out and she becomes the one with big uncontrollable emotions. I think in order to go like, hey, you guys, shouldn't we be feeling? Yeah, it's also complicated because they have a child, right? So they cannot like emotionally break down too much. Like Mark has already probably shown too many feelings, or at least in his estimation, he's shown too many feelings to Tara and he's been comforted by Tara. So he's, he, you know, Eve and Mark have to like reel back the terror that they might be experiencing because they got to get this kid to bed and Tara being either a sociopath or just a <laughs> child. I don't think he's, she's a sociopath. <laughs> I don't want to put that, that vibe out there. So, I mean like, but aren't all children sociopaths? Yeah, a little so? bit. They're myopic. Like she has the ability to go to bed pretty quickly after dad comes back. You know, she's, she's taking this so well. It's not a big deal. Just another day in the life of Tara off to sleep I go. And Mark and Eve go to the couch to process this a little bit. And again, process it shockingly smoothly. And Mark reveals how he's feeling guilty because in the past he had an opportunity to make the world better. But in if he tried to do that, he would lose Tara, he would lose his relationship with Eve, and that's why he ditched Reboot Land. And he's confessing this to Eve. And I was 
you know, I was nervous. How is Eve going to take this? But Eve's like, you know, you, 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 you did what you had to do. I think in the scene on the couch, Eve is doing the thing of making room for Mark's emotions. So she's going to be a little bit more masking in order for him to, to express to express himself. And we see her go through the ruler skills. She recognizes an emotion is happening. It's pretty big, it's pretty obvious. And she asks, are you okay? She immediately seeks understanding. And the way that Mark sums up the lessons he learned from Reboot is, I learned I'm not a hero. And that is one of the major themes of this volume. Yeah, and, and learning that is torturing him. Right, because we Or at we least think, not learning that, but believing that. We think of heroism, particularly superheroism, as a quantity game. What is the thing that's going to save the absolute most amount of people? What have you done for me lately? <laughs> right, but like Mark is a hero for Tara and Mark is a hero for all of the children who came after. Like that's the inherent problem with going into the past to fix the present is that the present contains so many fruits of that terrible past. Yeah, I would also say that heroism is a perspective game, right? Like what, you know, uh, you could judge Mark poorly for making that decision. And you might and, think that you would have made a different decision. Right, and there are people within that past that were deeply affected that would see Mark's choice as a villainous choice. And I couldn't necessarily fault them, but I also can't necessarily fault Mark for what he does because one, I have never experienced that, that type of decision before. And if you asked me to choose the existence of our relationship, Lisa, over a better planet Earth than the one we currently have, uh, I don't wanna make that choice, it would be a very hard choice. And I'm afraid like I would take my selfish choice and I would choose you over Utopian Earth. You know, it's just, it, you know, uh, heroism is a perspective game. Right. And, you know, we're going to see more acts of heroism in Invincible and we're going to see more acts of selfishness in Invincible. The rubber banding of morality is what this comic is all about and is what most superhero comics are all about. And uh, like... Part of me is kind of going like, it's totally fine for Mark to think of himself as not a hero. You know, he's not, just because he has these extraordinary abilities doesn't oblige him to be one kind of person or another kind of person or oblige him mm. to sacrifice a family life. But he does need to work out the emotions he that he's experiencing he right now. To, he, and he if has, you look at this scene on the couch and, uh, Eve takes it all in, and Eve says, I guess, the right things for this moment. But that final panel on that page where she has Mark's head on her shoulder, it is a wordless panel. Her eyes are open, and she is now processing everything that Mark has actually said. And how does she really feel in this moment? She looks pretty like overwhelmed, concerned, uh, and rightfully so. I think also her expression might have something to do with the previous panel ending with we're dot, 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 
together. I think there are yeah, also yeah, yeah. some um, infidelity feelings. Not that, you know, like we, we she would... thought he was dead, but infidelity feelings, yeah. like some kind of guilt going on with that. But I love what she says about like when he's kind of spiraling and going like, I'm such a screw up. I, there's no, I can't fix it. I don't even know to where to begin to begin processing this. And she said, start here, start with me. Yeah. And I think that method of like taking the overwhelmingness and going like, we can do this one thing. Right now, we can fix what's going on between us and repair our relationship. And that's really how they approach this going forward. I mean, they really are living in the moment. And the next day they wake up and it's time to take Tara to class. And Mark gets to observe how like at home, at peace, Eve is on this planet that at one point she was violently resisting. Right. She has definitely reframed her narrative when it comes to living on an alien planet. It is now like less alien to her. The last time Mark saw her, she was saying things like, I will never have an alien babysitter. Right. I hate this place. Yeah. All of that stuff. But now that she has fully immersed herself, she is part of the scene. She is interacting with her neighbors and now they're no longer scary, scary aliens to and her. And now Eve is kind of the alien to Mark. Mm, yeah. You know? And his expression on this page as they're strolling through the street is interesting to observe. You know, it, you know, he looks concerned. He looks impressed. He looks like he's got a little bit of pride in there. Um, he's he's shocked. You know, he's going through a lot. Mm -hmm. But none of it's said. It's all done through Cory Walker's art. And Cory Walker's killing it. We think of intimacy so much as like having knowledge about the other person. I know everything Brad did to get into this chair this morning, you know, <laughs> and that constant exchange of information feels like, well, that information is the thing that deepens our relationship. Mark is missing a lot of that stuff. Mm, 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 good point. And there's just kind of no catching up on everything that happened in the last five years. But again, he kind of just rolls with it because he that's does. what Mark does. He does. Because he doesn't want to be the problem. He d Like, can you imagine disappearing for five years and then coming back and finding out that everyone has learned how to function without you. And how are you supposed to fit back in? That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it's a really scary thought. Um, and again, I'm really impressed with how Mark deals with it. Yeah. Alan, on the other hand, has not figured out how to function without Mark. And Throg has not slowed down just because our main character was stuck in the past. I got to give some points to Alan that he has managed to keep Throg at bay. Yeah. It's kind of impressive that Throg hasn't made his move during this period of in time. What the move that he has made is spawning. Yeah. He is he, like, you know, like the universe doesn't stop just because you're not looking at someone. He has been making babies like yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's a factory. Yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. those poor women. And the more uh, the coalition has their back turned to them, the more soldiers he gets to put inside those arachnid alien people. Yeah, the Thraxans. The Thraxans. So when Mark goes to have his reunion with Alan, Alan immediately tries to get Mark back in the game, back in the war against Throg. And Alan and Mark have always had this complicated relationship. And they've had this conversation several times So before. many times. Yeah. Mark wants to continue to be Alan's friend. 
Alan wants to continue to be Mark's friend, but their visions for each other's future are very different. Yeah, Mark wants to take some time. You know, he, right. he tells Alan, like, I just went through some stuff and I need to figure it out. And Alan's like, okay, well, let's throw you a party. Right, right. So Mark, I think, does a good job of throwing down a hard boundary. He goes like, guess what? I'm never coming back to work for you. I'm going to be a family man. He already fe he is already resentful of the time he lost yeah. fighting already. He wants this other thing. Alan really wants to respect that and be the good guy. Oh, because Alan does have a brain. He does understand that losing five years of your life, you're going to need some <laughs> some R and R afterward. What I think. I really am trying to say is I don't think that Alan is being manipulative. I, I honestly think that Alan is Mark's friend and Alan wants the best for Mark. He just has this overwhelming problem. Yeah, I mean, Alan, if we were following his story in Invincible, would be going through the same emotional rubber banding, morality rubber banding as Mark has been going through. Right. And, you know... He is doing his best and he's doing a great job considering everything that's going on. At the party though, mm -hmm. you know, when they're like, okay, well, let's just like, let's just have a little cocktail hour, not a big deal. Let's just relax. Let's get the family back together. That first panel on that page of the party, you see that so much has evolved, continuing Eve's adaptation of her new life. Her and Huluma look pretty chummy. Haluma has a couple babies with Oliver now, mm -hmm. and Eve is, you know, being very like, oh, cute, love these little guys. And, you know, their relationship was so antagonistic the last time right. that we saw them. So when you see a panel like this, it really just underscores the horror of those five years lost for Mark. Yeah. And Mark can't really handle being at this party, so he goes out onto the balcony, and his brother Oliver, sporting a very dashing Viltramite mustache. <laughs> you see, uh, like, when I, to me, he looks like Freddie Mercury, slash, mm. like, with, like, a dash of Clark Gable? Yeah, uh, which I would say is dashing, Lisa. Uh, a dashing oh, yeah. mustache. <laughs> He's a fetching gentleman. This conversation between Oliver and Mark is is really complicated. It's yeah. very complicated. Again, Mark can't contain the well of sadness that is bubbling below the surface. And he bursts into tears. And now it's time for Oliver's shoulder to get some work in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like Oliver starts on the right foot when it comes to ruler skills. He goes for understanding and... Of course, Mark, instead of labeling, goes the opposite direction and goes like, I'm, fu I'm fine, which we've all done, right? Like sobbing while telling someone everything is a-okay. Then Oliver kind of mocks him. Yeah, um, Oliver- Like a brother. Emasculates him <laughs> yeah. and calls him, we don't approve of this, a giant pussy for having- Emotions. Emotions, but I like, is that teasing? Is he distracting? I don't know. Well, what makes it complicated for me is what we know is going on behind the scenes with Oliver. He is in, now we don't learn it in this, this sequence here, but he is in conversation with Throg. He is plotting with Throg. And I have a lot of questions 
about this turncoat situation with Oliver. And we don't necessarily need to talk about them right now. We can get to it in a moment. But this scene, when you read it with that knowledge, is way more complicated than it is or than it already seemed to be. Like, it already seemed pretty darn complicated. I think we can talk about it now. Okay. Like, to me, I think it is purposefully really vague i think it depends greatly on how much you've ever trusted oliver how you frame this narrative because you could see it as oliver is a viltramite and he has always had a lot of viltramite pride yeah and and he's had some viltramite aggression and so he would side with throg in order to um broaden the legacy of the viltramite empire but also, he has been working for Alan, and he is not a guy who likes to follow orders. And Alan has been pretty passive when it comes to really getting close to Throg. And Taking I, action, like like a, 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 after the last attack, he you know they've been on the defense. And since Oliver was a child, he was like a okay when people are not looking. I'm just going to take care of it myself. So I can see Oliver going like, Alan is not getting this done. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be really clever and reach out to Throg myself and pretend that I am on his side, but then do the, what is it? The, the, the switcheroo. The switcheroo, the double agent thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a generous reading of, of the arc. And the way his arc ends in Full House with spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love warning people of spoilers at We're this gonna point. We're going to say it by the end of this episode. <laughs> Oliver is killed, right. right, before we learn what happens. And so... Really, Oliver's storyline in Full House operates like a Rorschach test yes. for the reader. Yes. And I think, depending on your own feelings, you can decide, you, it, like, whatever, wherever you fall is not necessarily right or wrong. Personally, I feel like it is a double agent situation. You, so you agree with me? Uh, well, well, that's was, what I feel. That's what I feel. Okay. I feel like Oliver was trying to do the double agent thing. He has become a father. He has he has a greater sense of urgency for the safety of the universe. And he's doing, you know, the the Grayson thing of I got this. Right. You know, Mark's no longer here, so I've set this plan in motion because I got to do what Mark couldn't do and what Alan can't do. I can do it this way. That's how A real I... questioner. If we want to go to the four tendencies, mm. he's a real questioner. He doesn't feel like he needs to answer to anyone if what he's doing is justified in his own brain. But there are still two trade paperbacks to come, Lisa. Oh, there no. might be a definitive answer to oh, the really? question. I'm not going to say. I'm not going <laughs> to say. Uh, but that's where we are right now. And that's where I was when I first read it. I, I came down on the side of like, this is a double agent situation. Right. I think for Mark's long-term mental health, it would be good for him to frame the narrative of his brother in a flattering light. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, poor Oliver. The death, too, is just so graphic. Mm-hmm. And right in front of Tara. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck, Tara. Um, so after the party, 
Eve and Mark come to the decision that they need some away time. Mm -hmm. They got to get off this planet and they need to concentrate on being a family. They have to do the things that they missed when Mark was away off in Reboot Land. Eve has built a little resort, a little oasis on Colfax. It's gorgeous. It is beautiful. And I think that for the time being... Running away from their problems a little bit and really focusing on reestablishing those connections of intimacy and really working on being a family again is really smart. But I think, and, and like if we were going like Mark Brackett terms, we would say this is pretty forward thinking. They're overwhelmed, so they're going to go away and then hopefully re-enter society. It's a plan. Exactly, I think it's a really smart idea, but they do have a history of running away from problems. It has generally led to their problems catching up with them in a really ugly way. And then being saved by uh, a narrative thing. Right, right, so to me, I think that it would have been sp smart of them to establish a hard out Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, it's hard to like judge their. Uh, you can't judge them. You, you can't judge, judge them. their decisions. But as Mark Brackett would say, any emotional re regulation taken too far can be a bad thing. You have to process the emotions eventually. Lisa, I know you hate it when we're in session with a couple and then I step outside of the session, outside of the comic book, but I just want to take a moment here in this beautiful space to recognize Corey Walker's design mm -hmm. and not, not just of the house and the landscape and the flowers, but the costuming, mm -hmm. you know, Eve and Mark look great. Yeah. Their looks are gorgeous. I love the outfit that Eve is wearing when uh, Mark returns Mm -hmm. um, from the past, where she's wearing that kind of midriff flowy thing. All of Eve's outfits in this arc are top tier. Granted, her shapes are very pleasing. So <laughs> anything she wears is going to look... It's still a Western superhero comic, <laughs> right? Um, I also think that the sequential storytelling of this sequence is exceptional, where Mark goes in to kiss Eve, Eve pulls away, Mark is worried, mad, then he tries to um, like take back the initial anger, and then Eve reveals on the page turn a big splash that there was someone else. Right. That moment, like this moment when they finally get there, like you're saying, like they're running away from their problems, but their problems are still there. And and now that she's away from society, she can confess what has been eating her up. Right. She's been bottling this, making room for Mark's emotions, but now it's time to to get down and dirty and talk about what's really happened. But just from like a, again, stepping outside of the counseling session, from a pure comic book storytelling standpoint, these pages are like unbeatably good. Yeah, I like, I, I feel like you can really see Mark's mental, emotional yeah. process. Like, the whole, like throughout this book, you know, on one page, you see Mark just go through a wave of feelings. Right. Like, Corey Walker can take all these characters through so many emotions in such a short span of time, and it never feels extreme or 
unreal. I'd like to talk about these two pages in detail a little bit from Mark's perspective. Okay. So he thinks he's having this nice afternoon with his girls at their new <laughs> right. getaway. And then he goes in for a kiss and he's rejected. And I think that he has sensed Eve being a little bit distant since yep. he's come back. Yeah, which reflects his distance in the last arc over the Anissa stuff. Or not reboot, but right, modern Right, family. so it brings up all of those same right. traumas of, oh, I must be disgusting now right. because of my history. He has gone through this experience that makes him feel very rejectable. Right. When she rejects him in that moment, I just wonder, is he thinking like, does she not love me anymore? Have I changed in some way? Has she changed in some way? And I and I wonder if when he finds out that she was with someone else, if that's not something of a little bit of a relief. This is like a, like a weed in my garden kind of thought. But I imagine part of him is going, oh, thank God. It's not my fault. It's not something that I did or something that that is was my responsibility. Yeah, I wonder. We don't ever get access to his internal dialogue. But in we that do way. get access to his behavior following this point where he really works very hard to with, withhold judgment from her because I feel like he feels like he has a lot of things he too can be judged for. Yeah. The issue ends on that. Well, it doesn't end on that cliffhanger. It it lets Eve's revelation sit there. And then we move into Oliver having conversations with Throg. Throg in his throne room with just a fraction, a tidy fraction of his children army. I love the idea, though, of like when Throg is in a Zoom meeting, he's like, <laughs> okay, I want to look cool. So I'm going to place the camera way far away. And then I'm going to have my posse around me. Somebody get the cape. That's a flex. I'm about to do a zoom. Throg is always flexing. <laughs> you think Throg ever takes off the battle beast cape? I do not. He does when he fights. Oh, that's Because right. he doesn't want to get right. blood on it. Yeah. Can you imagine the dry cleaning? <laughs> so then the next issue. Oh, my God. We are only in the second issue. We're going to have to speed things up a little bit. I but, was afraid of that. But it always, there's so much setup. Yeah. We've, we've, we've no, talked a lot about it's it. It's going to be a long episode. It's okay. <laughs> um. The, the next issue begins with Throg again attacking an alien world uh, and, and, you know, trying to get the attention of Alan's Federation. Mm -hmm. But then we return immediately to what I would say is the panel right after Eve's reveal. So I don't think we miss any time between Eve saying there was somebody else and Eve explaining to Mark, uh, what, what does she say? His name was Kubion. Telia introduced us. We weren't together very long. He didn't, dot, dot, dot. You'd been gone for four years and, and he's like, you don't have to. Like, yeah. you don't have to explain yourself because Mark also understands. He, he, he understands logically. And I think also he doesn't want to know the details. Yeah. And I, like, and I and would be the same. I would be the same too. And I think that that like, Brad doesn't even want to talk about my dating history. Which, no, Which no. I don't really want to talk Lisa about Lisa knew no boys before me. <laughs> None. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, um, uh, 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 uh
Uh-oh. <laughs> she knew a few boys before me. <laughs> it's okay. I've had 16 years to get used to it. Uh, that's right. That's right. Happy anniversary, by the yeah, way. Yeah, date anniversary, June 4th. Yeah. But I just wonder how Mark not wanting to know the details and Eve not really necessarily wanting to hurt him with the details kind of uh, undermines the understanding process. So this should logically be a huge, and it is an, it is an ongoing conversation where this, uh, this subject is going to be picked up and put down and picked up and put down like a hot rock. You know what I mean? But Mark kind of stops the conversation on his terms, saying, but, but like, now- it's okay, I understand. And she goes, and and then we have this embrace yeah. where she says a little tiny thank you for understanding and him saying, I love you no matter what. But they're both staring off into the middle distance. They, they now have that expression that Eve had when they were on the couch at the beginning of the first issue, where they're just like, okay. Things are known. Right. <laughs> now let's process. And we jump from them, you know, trying to, you know, process all that stuff to Tara and her little education robot, um, you know, doing some lessons. Tara not wanting to do the lessons, the robot doing its best job. There's a lot of ongoing tension. Like we could do a whole separate episode about Mark's relationship with Eddie, the robot. And thank you, Eddie. I forgot the name. And Eddie having its edu- or their educational priorities versus Mark really wanting to have some, some daddy daughter yeah. time. And so Mark leaves Eve to go find Tara, interrupts the education, steals Tara away from Eddie, and let, let's go flying. Let's go fly together. And Tara's excited about that, but Mark flies too fast and it hurts. Right. It hurts poor Tara. It scares Tara's her. Skin. I, I don't think that I don't think she's hurt in that moment. Like I, we find out later, she doesn't like to fly with Nolan either. She's afraid of flying. Oh yeah. Why did I think it hurts? Because, because it hurts later when he's running away from the Veltramites. And she's like uh, in the up and he's like in the upper atmosphere. And I, I just saw the flash. And there's a scene that's sort of reminiscent to it where it does hurt. Oh, okay. <laughs> when, when you carry somebody at super speed, it does hurt. That's what I was actually. I can imagine, about. but I mean, she is hot, half Viltrumite. Yeah, yeah. So she's yeah, she's got a fear. She's got a phobia of being of heights. So Mark takes her very low to the ground. That is like the cutest panel ever, where they're hovering, where they're flying, maybe two feet off of the ground. I and love she it. looks like super worried. But yeah. I think that Tara is like hyper aware of her dad's feelings and how fragile he is, where I think she feels like she has more of a grandpa relationship with Nolan, where uh, she feels like she can be a little bit more honest with her needs. Yep. Yep. With yep. Nolan. Um, we, we can talk about that later. Then smash cut to tentacle porn on the next page. Right. Which we, <laughs> if we're going to skip anything, it could be that. Yeah. Telia and Alan going to bone zone. Then we're back to a scene with Mark and Tara drawing, having a little daddy daughter crayon time. I feel like in these scenes between Mark and Tara, Tara is old enough to kind of teach Mark how she likes to be parented. Yes. Which I think is so sweet where she goes like, you know, I want to read with daddy and this is how I like to be read too. I read a page, 
you read a page. Yeah, and kids do that. I remember yeah. doing that with my dad all the time. Like, right. This is the story I want to be read. Ooh, you're reading this wrong. This is how you do it. Now do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mark is like super receptive to that. And of course, Tara has the one book that she likes to be read all of the time. And it is Oppel Doppel. And it's about this character named Barga who is sad because their friend Oppel or Doppel, I can't remember the details, is missing, right? And that's the, that is the plot of this story. And we get this really sweet scene of Mark, Tara, and Eve all taking turns reading these pages. Um, and then Eve gets to this page that says, as sad as she was looking for Doppel, Barga refused to quit because she was a strong Oppel. Mark gets this far away <laughs> look and she's like, Mark? Mark, it's your turn to read. And um, Mark but, sees himself. But no, no, he sees Eve because Eve is Barga. He is Oppel. But Eve stopped looking for her Doppel, right? I, and yeah. she slept with a really sexy purple man named Kubion. When I say Mark sees himself, I mean, Mark sees the situation that he's living in Oppel Doppel. Right. His problems become the meta commentary to everything that is happening. In true invincible fashion, we immediately cut away from this sequence. We have to pause for the emotional continuation of it with Alan back on his home world and he is attacked. He is betrayed by his own political party and they set off a bomb and it blows him to kingdom come. And you might actually think that he's dead in that moment. He's not, he survives it. He's very sturdy. And then after that, we cut back to Mark and Eve dealing with Mark's feelings, having just completed and seen himself in Oppel Doppel. To me, I feel like this conversation is the crux of the ongoing conflict, uh, emotional conflict between Mark and Eve, where Eve notices that he is having an emotion. He's kind of going inside himself. He's 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 brooding. He's, he's brooding. brooding. And she says, you're upset about it, aren't you? The subtext of that sentence being, you're upset at me. You're yeah. upset with me. And Mark says, yeah, of course I'm upset. I can be upset about you being with someone else and still see that you did nothing wrong and shouldn't apologize for it. Like, I feel bad, but you don't have to. She's like, that's not fair. I know that you're upset and I'm just going to like, ha 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 ha, go on with life. But the emotional experience is not fair. I think what she wants is for Mark to be mad at her so that she can feel like she has been punished for what she did and he's refusing to give that to her yeah 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 she you know she's experiencing self-loathing uh sense a sense of failure a sense of not waiting you know like she should have done like she's re regret she's, she's experiencing regret she's experiencing regret and she thinks that the answer is for mark to be mad at her and then things can be okay so Coming up, she's going to be doing some pretty rash things that I would say are would have been previously out of Eve's character and in Mark's character. We're, we're experiencing a little bit of a role reversal 
through this conflict. But of course, Mark immediately changes the conversation and goes like, I, like I'm like i not just upset about that. Like there's a thousand other things that I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, right? and then the final page of this issue is above Earth, in orbit of Earth. We see a massive battle, we see robot, and smack dab in the center is Nolan. So there is something happening on Earth that is major. But since we're in session with Mark and Eve, we're not really going to focus on any of the Earth stuff what's going on between Nolan and Robot. We're going to stick with Mark and Eve. And the next scene for them is they're in the hospital visiting Alan, who did survive his little bit of political betrayal, but he's just like a torso. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he assures us it's worse than it looks. But I do think that it is an injury worthy of a bunch of people coming to visit him. Don't <laughs> yeah, you agree? Yeah, totally, totally. Including Kubion and Telia. Which is awkward. And Kubion immediately offers to leave. And Eve is totally bristling. And she's like, no, we'll leave. And Kubion is like, that's fine. Can we just talk? Can we just have a discussion? And not in front of Mark is the implication. And she's like, anything you want to say to me, you can say in front of my husband. And what Kubion wants to do is make a last ditch effort for <laughs> Eve. And he says essentially like, there was a lot of love there. And I think that we could still make it work. Yeah, and when, when Eve starts to hear him try to uh, detail what had gone down between them, she clocks him. She does. And uh, Tara is thrilled. She loves it. She loves it. And so then Oliver and Mark have a moment together while I guess Eve, Kubion, Telia all take care of the stuff. Right. And um, Mark says, you know, I have no hard feelings for him, but it's nice to know where I stand. Like that I am, (laughs) I am the one that she loves. He feels good. She doesn't seem at all conflicted with whom she should be with. Mark just got the satisfaction of Eve clocking Kubion. So he's, he's, he's high as a kite. He loves it. But Telia takes out her metaphorical scissors and just snips his kite string and says, Eve did not choose you over Kubion. They were very much in love, But in our culture, we don't really rear our young the way that you guys do. We don't really care that much about kids. So Eve technically chose Tara over Kubion, not you. Mark goes like, "Um, it's okay. I want to know what went on, like if they were actually in love, but I also maybe this knowledge I'm not comfortable with. Oliver goes in and goes like, you know what? Telly is the worst. Do not listen to her. <laughs> little bro, little bro. But like talking about Eve for a little bit, I feel like if she was in a little bit more emotionally secure place, I don't think that she would have clocked, clocked Kubion. Kubion. Yeah. I think she would have just left. Yeah, yeah. But because she has all of this unprocessed, discomfort, it's coming out as violence. Yeah, and what's also interesting is that after this sequence, we don't get another conversation between Mark and Eve. They do the thing where they got to keep moving. Because they've got they've got Tara and, and they have a life to get back to. And what they do is something I think is a little surprising is they go back to Earth or at least the moon base, Nolan's well, they, moon base. They previously established that they had not heard from Mark's parents right, in right, a long because time. Because they're busy. We saw above orbit a lot of warring going on. So I think they're just curious how things are going. I love the reunion between Mark and Nolan. When Nolan is flying back into the moon base, he, he 
enters, he goes into a room, and that smile that he expresses when he immediately sees his son and loses his words mm-hmm. is really precious. And then that mighty Viltramite bear hug that he gives Mark as Tara is playing with Grandma. I think it's so sweet. And I think that we get a little glimpse into Mark's upbringing where uh, Tara goes like, my daddy is strong like you. And when he flies me, he goes slow. So I don't get scared. (laughs) And Nolan says, I want you to be strong. That's why I scare you. So he goes like, he, he is a very much an advocate of tough love. Nolan's still Nolan. Yeah, he still <laughs> thinks that he really did a bang-up job with Mark. <laughs> and then we get a nice conversation between father and son. A nice conversation where uh, Mark is like, how could you be friends with Rex? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess nice in that they are not choking each other and well, getting each other all bloody and like, stuff. Again, like just as things are getting like, let's get real, let's talk about it. That conversation is interrupted because Eve has found Anissa and she does to her what she did to Kubiad. You know, yeah. she takes her out. She is lashing out at her using full powers, right? She's she's uh, manifested this huge platform brick thing that she's dropping on Anissa. And Mark goes in to stop her and Eve doesn't want to hear it. And when Eve pushes back on Mark, that's when Nolan realizes that something has happened between Anissa and Mark and Nolan picks Anissa up by her throat and says, like, what did you do to my son? And Mark replies, nothing, she didn't nothing. do anything. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I don't blame Eve for having this intense rage against Anissa no, for what not. she did. But I think Eve in this case is crossing a boundary of Mark's. On the next page, he essentially says, like, I don't want to open this can of worms with my dad because... My dad also has a lot on his plate. Yeah. But yeah. I think that she's coming from this place of she is she has this deep felt guilt and she believes that people who do wrong things should be punished. Well, I don't and even she's know if she's out that thinking punishment. that way, right? I don't think it's she's, like she sees Anissa and it's like it's go time. But I think that self-conscious thing is going on where she could have gone like, oh my God, Anissa's here. I'm going to I'm going to avoid this situation. Right, but because of all the I'm trauma that she has experienced Mark. since Mark has gotten back, uh, all this self-loathing, all this self-anxiety, all this regret, like she's lashing out. She's taking she, it out. She's not even lashing out. She's like, she's lost the ability to regulate. To right, re- exactly, exactly. And I, I think I think she's trying to be an example for Mark. Like, I've done a bad thing. I deserve to be punished. And this has done a worse thing. She deserves mm, to be punished. Mm, mm, mm. I think that she is acting out a principle she wants Mark to live up to. But like, it's totally not her place. But let's talk about the cliffhanger of this issue, yeah. Lisa. Lisa, as a first time reader of Invincible, when you get to the moment where you realize that Anissa on Earth has a family and a child and that child is Mark's, what did you go through? I, I mean, there were layers of emotions. I was shocked. And then I was double shocked that she named her son Mark <laughs> after the guy she raped. Well, yeah, yeah I like, I, I don't, like, I can't possibly begin to understand How do what you Anissa reframe is going that through. narrative? <laughs> like, she's done some work, right? Like, I, I think she's a Viltrumite. 
they are taught the principle that there need to be more Viltrumites at any cost. And you take. And she right? made that happen. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, shudder. She's, she's <laughs> proud of taking that son from Mark. That was her goal. And, and she That was got her it. goal. Do you think that she's proud? I think she, I, like, I think she was going to apologize. I think that she is on a journey with her emotions and a journey dealing with her actions the way that every character in Invincible is. And the expression on her face when she's looking at her son on that last page of that issue, I mean, it's, I mean, it's ambiguous purposefully so but but that that ambiguity i think is suggestive as well like i think right. she's probably going through a lot of the similar emotions that eve is going through i think she's going through a lot of similar emotions that nolan went through yeah. when he first came to earth she has a partner i'm going to presume that he's a human being yeah. right yeah. and she has um she has another baby much younger than marky and so i think that she she is acclimating to Earth life and reflecting on her past. Yeah, yeah. So the next issue, we see what what it's been like on Earth for the superheroes, for the Guardians of the Globe. We get a great Brit cameo. Uh, but predominantly, this issue is dealing with Mark's feelings regarding Nolan working with Robot. Right, right. And... Um, so Robot is doing the hard sell to Mark about all of the changes that he's made and how everyone is ultimately happier, healthier, safer, all of that stuff. It's a really great two-page splash of Rex. But, um, and Mark and Nolan go out to space and have yet another conversation about the situation on Earth where Mark has the point of view of Rex is a villain He's killed everyone that we knew. He is going to kill again. He's not to be trusted. And Nolan says, Mark, please listen to the man. Look at what he's done. Think about this rationally and without emotion. And I think that Mark, he is extremely emotional about everything that Robot has done, betraying his friends and betraying the, their principles. But he's also detaching. But... He, uh, I think he is also looking at this rationally where he goes like, well, Rex is a betrayer and he's going to betray again. His success is built on lies. And so inevitably this house of cards is going to, to come down. Maybe. I, like to me, I think he is rationalizing and his great links that he's taking to rationalize is a form of detachment that he's still struggling with. You know, uh, that's that's Earth, uh, and I've taken myself out of the game. To me, this makes me think about the episode of Dakota Ring. Is that the second time I've brought up Dakota Ring in this episode? No, you okay. have not brought it up before. I'm obsessed with this podcast right now. You have brought it up many times this week to me. <laughs> but um, they have an episode about the the dress. Remember yeah. the viral dress? The, is it is blue? It blue? Is, it is it white? You know, and, and uh, if, when you listen to that Dakota Ring. Um, I'm just going to spoil it for you. Some some people, when they look at something, their narrative makes them see it a certain way, and there is no unseeing it that way. And I think that that is the situation with Rex, mm. where Nolan, as a person who's been raised Viltrumite and in a Viltrumite culture... Who was going to basically do what Robot did. Is going to look at Robot's success and go like, 
clearly the proof is in the pudding, things are better, where Mark is looking at it f having been brought up in, you know, a, Earth, on, on, Earth, on Earth and in yeah. American With culture. With human morality. <laughs> and he goes, like, he's a murderer and he is a liar and that's not okay. Right. So I, I think that it's just, like, they are not going to see eye to eye on this. Like, I am a huge fan of not having a conversation where two people aren't going to change each other's minds. And so Mark does go, like, okay. Peace things, out. Things are not the same. We're going to go back home to, to Kurthak or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, back to their, like, pink sky uh, paradise. Right. Uh, um, Tara's not without... a little mad. Tara's a little mad. Uh, yeah. She doesn't want to go, but, uh, you know, she's a kid. Yeah, she She'll is a kid. She'll get used to it. Um, who, do you know who is also a little bit mad is Debbie? Who, <laughs> yeah. like, lets them leave with a little bit of a guilt trip. Yeah. Like, you know. She is a mom. She, she, her last words, <laughs> like, Debbie's you guys are the worst. I'm surprised you stayed as long as you did. Glad you're alive, son. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, yeah, you Nolan, can call your mom every once in a while. <laughs> Nolan's like, be careful out there. Yeah. Uh, and I will, Dad. I will, Dad. Keep an eye on Rex, okay? Uh, and then off they go, and we get just a little bit of alone time between Mark and Eve on the starship. Right. I think that... This might be the most, Eve has been processing a lot on her own, acting out and seeing that she's not really getting the affirmation for her behavior that she would want. An ongoing theme that comes up in this book is like, Eve is never not impressed by being on a starship, you right. know? Yeah. And it's amazing. And then Mark says like, I'm always shocked when I think about all of the things that qualify as normal to me now. Space travel, flying, aliens, being betrayed, yep. and then um, Eve yep. is clearly like, has an emotion. I don't mean you. I don't mean you, Eve. Right, right. And she replies, "You're too good for me." Right, because she still been, got the guilt. She still got the. She regret. still got the guilt. She's been looking to be punished by Mark, and he has not done that. And so that makes her feel even worse because she wants him to be bad. Yeah. To make up for her being bad. He says that, you know, I'm not just, I'm not too bad. I'm not too good. She, he says, we're just right. Right. You suck some. I suck, I suck some. some. That's what makes us perfect for each other, which I think does kind of put kind of a button on what Eve has been going through. I think that that's kind of what she wanted to hear. Yeah, and when they get back to their pink sky paradise, they agree that they're just going to hang here and that it's just... They're going to... This is clearly a place that doesn't have any problems and will never have problems. Yeah, and of course, dun-dun-dun, Throg is going to send out two of his kids to find Mark Grayson and obliterate him. That's how this issue ends. Right. Right. And the last two issues of this storyline of Full House are basically one long fight sequence. Mm -hmm. It starts off with Throg calling up Oliver and going, hey, uh, don't worry about this, but we're going to kill your brother. This is your last test of commitment. Yeah. So, you know, just sit back. And of course, Oliver cannot sit back because even if he is, and we don't necessarily think that he is, but even if he is betraying Alan, he doesn't want Mark... Eve and Tara to die. Right. And so he goes off to the rescue and, and then here comes the incoming villains, Throg's two kids and it's go time. 
Oh, poor Eddie. Yeah, Eddie gets it first. Onan, o- Onan's the name, right? The yeah, Onan name. is the boy and Ursal is the Thank girl. Thank you. Onan swoops on in, obliterates Eddie. Tara basically becomes this football passed back and forth between Mark and Eve. Onan and Ursal want to take her out first or are going to torture Mark and Eve by killing their progeny first. Mm-hmm. And these fight sequences, I mean, they are so intense. They are so painful and scary. Exceptional, invincible fighting, giving Ryan Otley's violence a run for his money. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Mark and Eve do a great job of recognizing each other's strengths. Mm. Eve is actually the more powerful fighter because of her powers. So... She stays to fight the twins while Mark takes Tara and starts flying as fast as he can. Yeah, and she's terrified. You're going too fast, Daddy, but he cannot slow down. Eve gets her uh, her leg ripped off. But by it was the way. already a robot leg. <laughs> Still pretty traumatic for Tara to see. But yeah, because Tara did not know that her mother had a robot leg. Yeah, and and we get this splash page where Mark goes supersonic with Tara in her arms, and Tara is terrified. So scary, and she cannot breathe, and Mark has to slow down, or he's going to kill this little girl. And then Onan, boom, right into the back of Mark, and Mark drops Tara, and Tara's falling to her death. And, oh, wait, hold up. Tara can fly, Lisa. Yeah. Um. Can I take a moment? I know. I know that <laughs> I this was episode is getting fight. long, but I I think that like we have the initial scene where um Tara is going like you're flying too fast. I'm I'm getting scared, and Mark says like I know that you're scared, but I'm trying to protect you, and I really I'm gonna fly really high, and I need you to be brave. And he asks, can you be brave for me, Tara? And she says, yes, daddy. It's like heartbreaking. I'm getting choked up talking about it. But like contrasting how Mark was raised versus how Tara was raised. Some could argue he should have been training Tara for this the whole time. And maybe he should have been doing the like, we got to face your fears now so that we are not having to face them in conflict. But like to me, I think this shows how much trust Mark has built with Tara mm, that's an excellent in this point. time where Tara has the understanding that he's not going to push her if he doesn't have to. He wants to respect her boundaries. And so like, because this trust has been built, she's not having a full on freak out. She knows that her dad is going to keep her as safe as he needs to. So how confident, Lisa, when you were reading this action scene that Tara was going to survive? I was, I I felt like everyone was going to survive. Like, these are all of the main characters. And so they're (laughs) all going to survive. Uh, We have a friend named Matt who was also a big Invincible fan. And Matt and I were reading this book at the same time Mm -hmm. as it was being published monthly. And like, after every arc, we were like, well... Adam Eve's gonna die soon. Oh yeah! <laughs> like it's this is this is the arc, and so I was never necessarily concerned for Tara, but I thought for sure that this was the moment where Eve was going to be killed. Wow! And you know, uh, Kirkman and Walker give me reason to think that that line of thinking was totally a okay and accurate because 
at one point, it looks like Adam Eve is killed. Right, right. So we get to the point where Tara can fly, or at least hover. Right. Like, she's not, she's somehow stopped herself from falling to the ground, but she right. has no control and over it. And then Throg shows up, and that's the moment, like, okay, well, if Throg is here... This is over. Like, yeah. someone in this family is going to die. Throg goes to pop Tara's skull, like, yeah. basketball yeah. palm style. Yeah, it's horrible. It's and horrible. Oliver interferes, and that's when Oliver is killed by Throg. Uh, like, gets the punch through the chest. His whole spine and guts go out the back. It's it's awful in front of Tara, which right. makes it all the more brutal, horrible, brutal, yeah, um, and just sad and just so 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 sad. Mark gets what's the guy's name again? What's the Onan? Onan. Mark gets Onan by the throat, and what do you? How do you feel about this scene where Throg's like, "You're a good guy. You're not going to do anything," and then Mark just crushes Onan's throat. I think that uh, this is another example of Mark coming to terms with his... Situation. Well, with his <laughs> his primary principle. Mm. His primary principle Family. is to keep Tara safe. Yeah, he's very so if, Dom Toretto that way. So if that means betraying all of his other principles, so be it. And we all have principles like that. Principles that have primacy over other principles. To me, I think that this is a very honest scene. I think that... Mark has been struggling with his line with heroism. And I think that this is when he goes like, okay, this is my primary principle. All other principles be damned. And then Ursal swoops in and kicks Eve in the back, in the spine, and appears to crush her face mm -hmm. with her boot. And then Nolan, or not Nolan, and then, ooh, Freudian slip. Mm -hmm. And then Throg tears Mark in two. Twain. Yeah. So again, Lisa, all right, now we've just seen Eve's head crushed and Mark ripped in two. I remember reading this going like, oh, are the last issues of Invincible going to be about Tara? Yeah, I 100% thought that Mark and Eve were totally dead. Right, right, right. Okay, but, because then we get like, we get this this page beat where Tara, covered in blood, is looking down at the apparent dead bodies of her parents, and she's like, mom, and Eve's still alive, and she mutters out something, some gibberish, but as she's muttering out that gibberish, she ignites her powers, and her abilities allow her to reform her biology and Mark's biology, and they're nude, but they're alive. Right, and Tara is relieved and amused that she could see their butts. <laughs> and I'm like, Robert Kirkman, you son of a bitch. Yeah, when I first read this scene, I thought that it was like a, a Loki's death situation mm. where Eve had somehow created the image. No, but they had been ripped in two. They had been ripped in two and um, she rebuilt them. So like every time she experiences a trauma, her powers become even stronger. Yeah, what yeah. a powerful metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, she rebuilds her family making them even stronger than they were before. Yeah, and so this issue ends, this storyline ends, Full House is done, and Eve's, Eve's like, okay, well, they've 
they've gone to this lengths to take us out. We cannot just hang back anymore. The only solution here is to fight. To face their problems. Can I can I just read the bubbles? Please do. Mark is looking over the dead body of Oliver, who was it was too late yeah. to be saved. And Mark says, I'm sorry I I did this. I tried to turn my back on what needs to be done. I was selfish, and now we have to go back, Eve. We have to end this. And Eve replies, I know. If we hope to ever have our lives back for good, we have to fight. So we've been talking about like how they have been depending too much on the forward-looking regulating strategy. And now it they have realized that it has caught up with them. Their problems did not resolve themselves without them. And so they're going to have to follow through on being heroes for the coalition and for Earth. So the last two trade paperbacks of Invincible are titled The End of All Things Parts 1 and 2. We're going to cover both of them on the next episode. Mm -hmm. I got to ask, Lisa, what do you want? out of Invincible's ending. Like what are, so for, like there are a lot of threads hanging out there, right. right? There's obviously the Throg situation that they now have to deal with. Robot, Earth, Nolan. Nolan's relationship with Mark seems pretty good. Like right. the death of Oliver. So we're going to have to like deal Haluma with that. is now a single parent. Oh my gosh. The, yeah, her kids. Tara as a child of Mark and Eve. Like what do you... What do you want? What do you expect that we're going to get in the last issues of Invincible? I don't know. Like, it is called the end of all things. So I have, like, what I want in my heart is I just want all of the characters I love to be okay. Like, mm -hmm. I want Haluma to be okay. I want Alan to be okay. I want Mark and Eve and Tara to all be okay. But in terms of, like, what do I want for planet Earth? I have no idea. I, I guess I don't want Rex in power anymore. But at the same time, I don't want a bunch of Earthlings to have to be killed in order to do that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then what would a post-robot Earth look like? And is that a better place? Right. Like, to me, I go, like, Rex has to do something heinous before Mark goes in to kill him. Who do you think is the great villain of Invincible? Having read all of Invincible so far, is it Throg? Is it Robot? I think that it is Throg and Robot. They both have their own objectives, neither of which are particularly humanistic. You know, but when you have two villains, one guy gets taken out first. Which, yeah. which guy gets taken out first? Yeah, or... You uh, team up with one guy yeah. in order to, okay, hmm, let me think. So I guess, I mean, what would be the more surprising turn? I guess <laughs> Mark et al. teaming up with Throg to defeat yeah. Rex, I guess, would be the way Robert that it might Kirkman go. Robert Kirkman is a creator that loves to subvert. Yeah, I right. know. So I, I, he's like in this arc alone, he's just like constantly subverting expectations. So I, like to me, it's just like, is he going to double, <laughs> double subvert by doing the predictable thing? I don't know. Uh, are you having a good time with Invincible? I'm having an amazing time. And it's a it's a book I feel super not safe predicting things yeah, about, especially yeah, yeah. knowing that, you know, <laughs> it, like it makes it less fun. 
uh, you know, oh gosh, there's, yeah, the, <laughs> this has been our longest conversation on Invincible so far on but Mark it, and Eve. But in terms of a session, I think emotionally yeah. we are leaving Mark and Eve in a much better place with, of course, a whole new set of traumas, which, I mean, that's life. Well, I mean, my worry for Mark and Eve, because what they have experienced and what what we have seen them do over the course of this arc, having recovered from the events of Reboot, is, you know, um, okay, let's talk a little bit about it. Okay, we reached a, a point of being uncomfortable. Let's let, and then something distracts. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Something distracts. Let's talk about it. Something distracts. And now they have this huge distraction of, well, we gotta take care of Throg. Yeah. Or our like he's coming for us. We gotta go for him. I just worry when that's resolved. If that's resolved. You, you know, do they continue the pattern of, you know, we talk a little bit, we don't address everything. We you know, moving. it's hard because like we we have to process our emotions and live our lives at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think with big problems, you're not going to fix it in one session mm -hmm. where it's just like, you know, you start the conversation, you give each other kind of food for thought, you separate and process your emotions separately while you live your life. And then you come back together and you have another conversation. Then you process apart yeah, and come together. Yeah, so like, is to their me, pattern actually a bad thing? Like, I, think, I framed it like it was, but maybe that's just life. Maybe they're just doing the marriage thing. I think, yeah. I, like, if anything is a, a bad thing, Mark acting like... Mark trying to keep his emotions away from Well, Eve. stuffing. Yeah. Right? I think that Stuffing that's, on both cases. But, like, we have to remember when we give permission to feel, we also have to give permission to fail. Yeah. Like, I think that Eve recognized that her lashing out was not giving her the affirmation that she needed. Yeah. And so she had to come to to this place of self-forgiveness in another way. The, fa the fact that they have survived, that, that that their relationship has survived to this point, having gone through everything that they have gone through, is, you know, well, impressive. I think, I think that they have the thing in the back of their mind where, like, but we'll be together. Where like They never doubt the relationship surviving and existing. Brad and I talk about that a lot in terms of our relationship is like we've never had a fight that has led to Doubt. us going like maybe we shouldn't be together yeah like we have the 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 comfort of knowing no matter how ugly things might get between us like yeah 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 Lisa uh, can get real mad at Brad Brad could get real mad at Lisa at no point do I feel like anyway speak for yourself Lisa that this fight will end in Brad and Lisa cannot be a couple anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Big time same. So I like I feel like Mark and Eve have that kind of commitment. Mm. You know? And and like I think that uh like I think that Mark is right in saying that it was understandable that Eve enter another relationship four years after he died. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, though you're not allowed to do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Um, if you, if I die sad forever. Land. Who knows? Who knows? I might just be haunting you. You don't know. So um, I'm oh, joking man. partially. Um, so uh, She is not. <laughs> I never felt like their relationship was in jeopardy, even though, even knowing that she had found love outside of the relationship okay. when she thought he was dead. All right. We've been loving talking Mark and Eve, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, is there anything that we need to address? Anything that we have learned from our time with Mark and Eve up to this point? Anything that we have learned and we're going to apply using Mark Brackett and Permission to Feel? I think my biggest takeaway lesson from this session is like, no matter what the cover of a book is going to tell you, <laughs> there is no easier way and more efficient way to have emotions. What we learn every time we read one of these things is that the answers aren't necessarily there. Like there's no like easy solution that comes with any self-help guide. Right. They just give you the vocabulary and some tools to help you look inward. Yeah. But like sometimes I get and on my high horse and I think, oh, from up here, I can amalgamate everything that I've learned to cut, to unlock the answer of me being a really, uh, a way more perfect person. And it's just like, it's just not going to happen. Like for me, I think that there are certain books that offer better ideas than others. And I don't think you are necessarily all in with permission to feel. I love R, U, and L. And right. I, you know, I love using a mood meter. Right. I, I find that to be so fun. But my big takeaway from the permission to feel side of things is the failing of the expressing, yeah, right? And as you said, the, this idea of like, just because you are going to express something doesn't mean that the other party is going to deal with it in the way that you would like them to deal with it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't express something. Right. Right, that you have to put it out there and then you, you have to regulate emotions, they have to regulate emotions. I think that's all good stuff to contemplate. Right, right. And permission to fail is... You know, that's my freaking life motto. Right, right. right. Like, I think, like, what Mark is doing, Mark Brackett, that's confusing. I think <laughs> what Dr. Mark Brackett is doing is he is more intent on the culture shift side, where he wants to create a society where everybody is safe to express their emotions. Permission to feel is not necessarily a book intended for one person. It's intended for the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think like trying to apply it, like, like going like, okay, I'm going to have permission to feel and Brad is going to have permission to feel. And then we're going to just try to force this uh -huh. on everyone else in our lives. It's not that easy. And like, and yeah. permission to feel and is not it. a scalpel. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's not a scalpel for a couple yeah, <laughs> to like, get in there. Like, I think that if everyone like on the planet goes like, okay, we all have permission to feel now. And that is just the rule of the land. You know what I mean? That would be a beautiful thing. But I think that, you know, intergenerationally, people are just going to have a diff different set of display rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, oh, ah. Oh. We got to stop, Lisa. Yeah, I know. We got to move on. We got to start the work of dealing with invincible 
volumes uh, one and two of The End of All Things, the last two trade paperbacks of Invincible. There are no more Invincible comics after these after these two trade paperbacks, although there are a couple short stories. Like, there's a Battle Beast story Ooh. that was recently published in the Skybound Anniversary comic that we might want to tap on at some point. How fun. Uh, but yeah, so our next counseling session is going to be on Mark and Eve. It's going to be the final Mark and Eve episode uh, covering the end of all things, parts one and two. But that will actually not be our very next episode. Our next episode is another creator conversation. This one with a great British Bake Off contestant. I'm beside myself. I love Great British Bake Off. For those of you who don't know that particular detail about me, I did for many weeks have a Great British Bake Off blog where I was making the technical bakes. Yes. And, um, and I was eating a lot of scones. We were both eating a lot of scones <laughs> and it really slowed life down. Like, so, it's just a lot of white flour and butter. Lisa read this comic that this great British Bake Off contestant uh, did and wrote a really lovely review for Comics Beat. And I'll include a link in the show notes oh, to thanks. that review. And <laughs> Lisa said to me, Brad, we have to find a way to get this person on the podcast. And then we spent a couple weeks making that happen romancing and, yeah romancing that publicist romancing that creator and thankfully they agreed so our next episode is a conversation with kim joy of the great british bake-off season nine and the author of the new graphic novel from comiXology turtle bread which is out now you can read it digitally it's great it is very much a comic book couples counseling book. Yeah. It's all about feelings. It's all about anxiety. Lisa saw so much of herself in it. I saw so much of Lisa in it. I found it really special as a result. Highly, 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 highly recommend Turtle Bread. Please check it out and then meet us on the next episode with our chat with Kim Joy. And then the episode after that will probably be our end of all things episode. But I think it's going to take some time to plot write and prepare for that Invincible episode, as all these Invincible episodes have been. I mean, they've been Herculean efforts, and I've loved this series, and I'm going to be sad that it's over, but I'm also excited that it's going to be over soon. I'm excited to have all four episodes out there. Like, it always feels good to complete a series totally. with a couple and then release them into the universe with everything they've learned from us. Absolutely. Also coming up, we have some more screenings at the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester. Yes, as we already mentioned at the start of this episode, Batman The Mask of the Phantasm is on the big screen at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia on the 25th of June at 4 o'clock. Tickets are on sale now. Get them before it sells out like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did. Link in the show notes. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World will be at the Alamo on the 30th of July, also at 4 o'clock. Tickets are on sale for that too. Yes. Okay, Brad, uh, do you want to just like get out of here and get away from our <laughs> problems? I'm sure they won't catch up with us. Will wherever we go have a pink sky? Yeah, guaranteed. Okay, good. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, 
Spotify, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. That's all of them. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. There's actually like a lot of other places you can listen to us, like Good Pods. Yeah. Listen on Good Pods as well. Leave us a review on Good Pods. That'd be nice. Podchaser also. Uh, If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at... CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while yes, you're please. there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. And very needy, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very needy. Thirsty. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You are now in session with the comic book couples count. Do I know how to speak English anymore? I don't know. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. (laughs) I'm Lisa Gullickson. You like that diction? I'm bringing the diction. (sighs) You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I've forgotten how to speak. And I'm Lisa Gullickson. (laughs) You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. What's wrong? I don't know. Am I slurring my speech? Uh, uh no, no. And what am I doing? You, you, you have a weird pause in the comic book couples counseling podcast. Comic book couples counseling. There you That's go. how I always say okay, it. Let's let's do it one more time. Let's do it one more time. Give me a complex. You are now in session with the comic book couples counseling podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, we're I, I, we're, we're ignoring our past and embracing our romantic future. Is that what we said last week? No, this you, is, I've changed this. This is the new copy? This is new copy. How do you feel about it? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I thought about it for one second, and then I typed it up. Okay. And actually, I was typing as I was thinking, which is weird. It's how I always type and think and think and type. Lisa's changing it. <sighs> okay. I got it. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we've gone back in time <laughs> and come right back having changed nothing with Mark Grayson and Adam Eve as experienced in the Full House arc of Invincible. That's not right. Yes. Is it Full House? Yes. <laughs> yes. From Image Comics and Skybound Entertainment. And we're applying Mark Brackett's permission to feel, unlocking the power of emotions to help our kids, ourselves, and our society thrive to their relationship woes. Would you like me to redo it? Yes. 